I can do things that wear it without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. Anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just set sail on a voyage of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and floating the old green river with me, as always, is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer of Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Where's the river winding today, Mel? Well, pardon our pixie dust, Freddie, but we're going to have to man up today, man. We're going to need our hard hats, construction boots, steel-toed shoes, because we're going behind the temporary wall barriers and into the construction zone of the jungle with Dr. Jesse Cam. Uh, Jesse's a friend. He's also a 20-year veteran in the construction industry uh, with uh, some background uh, on some Disney construction sites, leading teams as a construction manager, project manager, and general contractor on projects inside and outside of the theme park firm. Not only that, but he's got what every project needs, including several of ours, the ability to get these projects funded, which is kind of a big deal in our industry. Kind of a big deal. Well, Dr. Jesse is also a scholar with degrees in engineering management, architectural design, engineering technology design, and a PhD in construction technology management. Let's just say... He knows what he's doing, all right? All right, folks, keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat, because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. So, Mel, there is a lot of attention in our industry. People get a little bit enamored with the people who can draw the pretty pictures and uh, come up with the great ideas. Um, you know, the guys who come up with the blue sky ideas, we, 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 we give them a lot of credit. But honestly, there is a big fat phase gap uh, when we start thinking only of that between that big idea and the actual opening day. And that is the construction phase of the process. Um, talk to me a bit about the construction phase and how that literally fil- fits in to uh, that whole process. Well, it's interesting because uh, a lot of times when you talk about construction managers or the construction phase, you know, uh, people think that maybe it starts with uh, the completion of the design. You know, you've yeah. got contract documents and you uh, mobilize on site and now you got to get this thing built. The reality is uh, a huge amount of the value that people like Jesse bring is bringing them to the table, uh, even during Blue Sky, uh, even in concept development, bringing uh, kind of current understanding of, of costs and uh, cost assumptions and, uh, and, and value engineering to the table. Um, and again, it's a mistake. Uh, by uh, uh, some parties to, to try to exclude them from the room. Uh, yeah, right. Maybe designers that are a little more insecure or they don't want to get, uh, you know, kind of uh, 
wet blankets thrown on, <laughs> you know, ideas early on. It's all about finding the right partners, the guys yeah. that understand, you know, again, like Jesse, that understand the power of a big idea, that understand the value of story, that can bring uh, the brain damage that they've incurred over, <laughs> you know, their yeah. decades of experience. When they can bring that to the table on the front end, help shape it into something that's feasible and viable, uh, it just really helps the reality of those ideas getting off the ground. And again, when they're partners in crime throughout the entire design documentation process and they're reviewing this stuff, uh, again, that aspect of uh, what we also call program management or design management uh, is something I've learned over the years to really appreciate and value and I've been part of. Um, and so again, um, you want those guys joined at the hip with the guys holding the pencil, uh, you know, and so it's, it really is uh, a process that uh, it almost runs parallel through the different phases of schematic design, design development, construction documentation. So, yeah, um, yeah it's it's just one of those many disciplines that uh, it takes to to make up this motley crew uh, of uh, spatial storytelling and imagineering. Yeah, and you were uh, telling me just recently about uh, you went to visit a groundbreaking at the one of the projects that you had been working on. I mean, that represents that's why people get so excited. That represents the beginning of that. Hey, we're digging in. We're getting started. And I think that's really an exciting part for everybody involved is, hey, we dug the first shovel of dirt. Construction begins. Yeah. And it's funny because when you, you say that that beginning of construction, to me, it's almost the culmination of so oh, many good. other like heavy lifting and, and hard steps and hard decisions that had to be made to ever get that project to be feasible right. and to come to fruition to the point where, again, you've crossed so many thresholds and gateways of securing funding, of getting entitlements, of getting plans developed, approved by the client, approved by uh, the public agency in the city. Again, it's already quite accomplishment just to get to the point of, of groundbreaking. So, uh, yeah, it, it, those are always uh, celebrations as much as uh, something done in anticipation of a future opening day. So definitely uh, good times to party. Well, our guest today knows a bit about that. He's Dr. Jesse Cam. He's a construction manager with uh, extensive experience in immersive and entertainment environments. He's been involved in unique commercial projects, including branded themed environments, hospitality retail. He's got medical centers and uh, work, play, live environments uh, as part of his things, as well as nonprofit and faith-based organizations. He grew up in Central Florida, so he's definitely gotten his hands dirty on a score of proje projects for both Universal and Disney. So let's get to work. We're back in the Blue Sky Loft at Storyland Studios for our interview with Dr. Jesse Cam. Yeah, Jesse, welcome to uh, Storyland Studios. Thanks thank for uh, hanging out with us and extending your trip out. Yeah, thank you. I've seen the list of, of people you've had on this. And I'm honored to be amongst them. <laughs> well, it's about time. You know, we uh, we first met live face-to-face -face, uh, a couple of years back at Trader Sam's in Orlando. And uh, so we're going to have to close the loop and head out to Tra Trader Sam's uh, in Anaheim here after we wrap it up. So Good we got to make Good this idea. happen quick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We'll, 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 get to, we'll get you there. We'll get you there. Um, well, um, thank you so much for being here. It's it's pretty exciting um, to uh, be with somebody to talk about um, the development side of uh, of construction and and what we're uh, what you have done in your career is uh, very exciting for so many that are on the uh, in the themed attraction industry trying so hard to uh, create the things that the designers sort of come up with, but uh, put on that special um, really deep understanding of what is needed to. to 
to create that. So uh, just love to hear a little bit about you, where you came from, and uh, how you got into this crazy business. Yeah. So I think, you know, proximity is the key to everything, right? So I grew up in Orlando, uh-huh. home of many theme parks and, and different uh, family center so attractions. Fertile swamp soil there. Yeah. Deep, all the way deep from mangrove roots. <laughs> Tampa, all the way up, you know, to Central Florida. We've got parks. Um, and so. You know, growing up, uh, I was very good at, at doing technical things and, and engineering and figuring out how to how the things break and how they go back together and <laughs> troubleshooting. Um, so uh, that was always going to be where I went. And I went uh, to high school. I wasn't very motivated. It's kind of a surfer outside in Florida, you know. And um, Florida has surf? Yeah. Well, we have some. <laughs> right? Not like California here. We have a lot more sharks than you do. <laughs> You've got bigger sharks. But... Um, so after high school, I got into uh, to an architecture program at a local state college and then found myself working on a CAD uh, a workstation for hours on end. And uh, I kept finding myself drawn to the field and the dirt. And <laughs> so I ended up switching and going into a, a construction management career. Well, I do appreciate, um, you know, we were working on, together on a couple of projects and uh, it, it has been great to have someone that has uh, kind of an overall development experience. Uh, I know we overlap a little bit on the design and the development management, uh, but the fact that uh, we're partnering with you on the construction side, but it, it's always, the, there's a, a natural, uh, in the industry, if you will, there's there's always kind of a natural adversarial, or there can be a, an adversarial relationship between the design half of the business and the uh, construction side. And you've always been a, an amazing bridge between those worlds, uh, being able to speak uh, both languages and uh, kind of being that peacemaker, <laughs> if you will. Um, so speak to that. I mean, how, mu- how much has, has that design background, um, you know, that uh, original architecture degree served you yeah. uh, as you've uh, entered into the, the construction and development management side of the business? Yeah, it's funny because I'm involved with a couple of organizations. So the American Institute of Architects is one. Uh, the American Society of Civil Engineering is another. And of course, the construction management uh, groups. And they're all different. They all have different silos and they kind of stay within their own silos. I think that's changing a little bit. I hope it is at least. We've seen a lot more design build uh, projects. There's groups like the Design Build Institute of America. Yeah, I'm a member and uh, yeah. so, professional there, DBIA. So there's making a lot of progress and, and even doing uh, design build for government contracts. Mm-hmm. And I feel that when there's a connection between the designers and the cost managers and the construction management, the project seems to go a little bit smoother. Uh, there's always going to be things like change orders and, and change directives along the way, but you manage that early on with budgets in mind, uh, even from a blank slate. So that's awesome. Well, um, tell us a little more about uh, kind of you know coming even right out of school in that fertile soil of Central Florida. Your your kind of entry points into the industry and what you got to, which sandboxes you got to play in with uh, Universal and so yeah. On. So while I was going to college, I went to college uh, part-time, worked full-time, couldn't really afford school. So like most people do, had to get a job. I got a job <laughs> at a local construction company that had contracts with uh, both Disney and Universal Studios. At the time, uh, the uh, Islands of Adventure 90s, Parks. The Disney decade, late it was 90s, a pretty busy right? time. Yeah. Yep, so late 90s and even into the early 2000s. Uh, so Universal Studios had Islands of Adventure Park. Uh, that was under full construction, along with the city walk, the entryway when you first walk in. That's right. So I worked on uh, Pat O'Brien's cafe, uh, Bob Marley's cafe, um, some some port of entry, uh, Toon Lagoon, 
uh, Jurassic Park, some bits of the Spider-Man ride. Uh, kind of got around. Yeah, we had little bits of <laughs> lots of different contracts. Yes, yeah, so he had a, a special construction hat. Yes, <laughs> it was like, right. So each island got a golden a, ticket. <laughs> yeah, there's a little sticker that went on that gave you access. There were little gates to get into each area. And um, they would look for the sticker on your hard hat. And since I had so many projects going on, uh, my hat had many of them, almost all of them. And so there were a lot of people, uh, a lot of construction workers who would try to get my hat from me and save it as a collectible. Awesome. You still have it, though? I do. Oh, yeah. good man. I still good have it. it. Yeah. You're going to post it on eBay after uh, Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. You shouldn't have brought it with you and left it in the lobby. Right. Just... Yeah. So any, uh, any war stories, or did it, it was all pretty smooth sailing? No, uh, not at all. Because there was a, a lot of pressure, a lot of, a lot of stressors getting that project done. Well, there was hundreds of people, thousands of people, hundreds of contractors. There's an army out there, yeah, yeah, building the city. Of all different trades and all different professions and you know, all different uh, designers of landscape architects, hard um, uh, hardscapes, uh, cost managers, quality managers, safety managers. So there's thousands of people. Um, a lot of my war stories have to do with the logistics of getting things in and yeah. around. Even some of the celebrities that would come by, uh, they'd shut down your jobs. And so we would access CityWalk through what is now a moat uh, that goes around there. It's it's filled with water now, but my truck would get stuck in that sugar sand, the, <laughs> the fine Florida sugar sand. It would get stuck there almost daily. <laughs> so that was some fun. <laughs> That's misery. Yeah. Uh, slow you down. So uh, what else? What other um, uh, projects did you work on that uh, were exciting for you and that uh, you can still see today? I'm, I'm always uh, fascinated by, um, you know, the hands that uh, built the the dreams. Yeah. So after Odds of Adventure and City Walk uh, wrapped up, we we had little odds and end contracts with Disney. We did the uh, Contemporary Resort when they had mm-hmm. uh, the renovation. Um, there was a, a, a treehouse village. We did renovations on that. Um, some different odds and ends. We did the uh, Disney bunker uh, for the firework storage. Um, I was briefly involved with that one. Uh, but then, like most things in life, you know, not every project is awesome. So yeah, you right. get a lot of just run-of-the-mill stuff that pays the bills <laughs> after that. So, Well, one of the things that, uh, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is, again, having the, the design background um, and the construction management background. Um, but one of the things that we, we have kind of an overlap uh, with both of our firms uh, and the projects that we work on together is that um, kind of idea of uh, development management, which kind of really needs to start you know, in some cases, a year or two or years before you ever either issue contract documents or, or um, you know, construction drawings or issue bids, uh, but really helping uh, clients. And in our case, uh, you know, whether it's a first-time theme park developer, uh, a nonprofit, what we call property virgins, uh, just kind of really wrap their arms around, uh, you know, what the heck are we doing? Budget, scope, sc- schedule. I mean, it's one thing when you're working for a savvy real estate developer that kind of knows exactly what they want to do. If this is their 101st uh, Taco Bell, they, they kind of know exactly what they want to do. But a lot of our projects are kind of these one-off, unique uh, creation destinations. And um, there's a lot of uh, people and uh, project management uh, that comes into the front end of that. You mind sharing kind of the uh, the experience, the expertise, and kind of that just what what is what does that entail? That whole pre uh, pre construction management, if you will. Yeah, I think that pre construction management is 
the most important part, and I know I'm sort of partial because that's what I do, but <laughs> it really sets the groundwork for the rest of the project. Right. Once you have a set of, of construction documents, the full set that you would build from, and for the listeners, the way that it goes is the designers will draw up a full set of, of documents with some specifications usually that talks about what materials and the quality levels that we choose. Um, and then that gets bid out to a series of, of contractors and, and tradespeople. And they can't really deviate from that. So from the cost control standpoint, all of that stuff is done years before they've even seen the plans. Mm-hmm. Um, so even how much land you've got, how much land is, is buildable. So a lot of, of times you have to set you know, certain pieces of your property aside as wetlands or as, as a, a detention or a, a storm retention. Um, and so even things like you know, where you spend your money uh, there's usually always a constraint for budget and the balance usually. between, yeah, <laughs> almost always. Uh, I don't think I've ever had one that didn't have a budget. Yeah. Um, the balance of where you spend that money starts up front in that, in the whole pre-construction, even how we set up the contracts with uh, the architect and the contractors, the construction managers. Um, so in our industry, they call that the uh, PDM, the project delivery method. Mm-hmm. And there's really seven variations of that. And so a lot of the people that I work with don't even know that there's different variations that you can contract people out with. And they think you go to architect or civil engineer first, yeah. sometimes even a contractor first. But what they don't know well, is that For whatever reason, a lot of uh, property versions have this mistaken idea. Uh, I, it's just been called design, bid, build it. Again, yep. you're supposed to kind of play in this amazing fun sandbox of uh, pie in the sky, you know, what, what can I dream and wish uh, could happen? And then the, the, you know, a really great designer, uh, architect, whatever is supposed to be like a really good waitress, just take really good notes <laughs> and draw exactly all my hopes, wishes and dreams. Uh, and then that gets out uh, uh, to this competitive bid and that uh, whoever loses that blind poker game, the, the contractor that has a low bid, uh, is going to actually deliver the project, uh, you know, for a cost that resembles that bid. And I don't know about you, Jesse, but in my decades, I've never seen that process play out uh, like that uh, even once. Uh, yeah. And so, um, yeah, can you, you mind, uh, you know, I'm assuming without even asking you that that design bid build, uh, you know, kind of practice that I just laid out is kind of a straw man isn't exactly the, the recommended uh, standard operating procedure. <laughs> no, I definitely prefer a design build scenario for most projects, especially when the budget's constrained, yeah. uh, which is almost all projects. Uh, I think there's times where each one of the project delivery methods could shine, but I think most of the time for most people, it's going to be the uh, design build uh, yeah, the, the key is whether it's design build or uh, we, we do a lot of integrated project delivery just yeah. because of uh, um, the nature of the complexity of certain projects. But just the the, the notion that, um, you know, you don't want to have that Berlin Wall between uh, the design team uh, that's supposed to be perfect and put together a perfect set of, uh, you know, contract documents uh, and, uh, and then the build team uh, because... Yeah you know, essentially you're almost forcing them into this adversarial corner with each other where, you know, because neither side is perfect, <laughs> they're, they're basically forced into pointing fingers either at, you know, the, the builder pointing it at the design firm because of errors or omissions or inconsistencies or question marks. And the design firm is like, hey, it's in there, just look deeper. And, you know, yeah. and it, it just really uh, isn't really the best way of uh, creating a team solution in my experience. So there's a lot of 
legal nuances that a lot of people don't understand and, and, and don't know about this process. Things like the architect has a duty for standard of care. What does that mean? There's no set of perfect CDs, so you're always going to have errors and you're going to have omissions where they've forgotten things or didn't think things through. And then when you do a, a design a bid build, there's a, something called a Spearin Doctrine uh, that the courts have sort of held on to that shows two different contracts with two different things that the two entities are promising. And the owner gets left holding a lot of that bag because mm -hmm. if there are errors, usually what the architect's contracts are uh, promising is different than what the, the contractor is supposedly getting a perfect set that can be built yeah. with no errors and no omissions and they can make money off it. But in reality, that's never going to happen. Um, so I think the owners sometimes when they do a design bid build get caught in the mindset that they've they should have had everything thought through, but really the owner needs to make sure that they've thought through everything, mm -hmm. all the pieces. In my experience, it puts a lot of liability on the owner. It does. Uh, and yeah. so really the, the scenario of, again, having your teams uh, be able to go through that process um, well before, you know, again, contract documents are reissued, really while it's still in uh, early phases of design uh, where that, that, uh, that build team is identified, they're able to partner and be in relationship, uh, be reviewing designs, uh, where basically that, that kind of evolution of a team of forming, uh, storming, norming, and then performing, you want all that to happen before you ever get to contract yeah. documents. Yeah. And you, you want... Uh, both uh, in all entities involved, really owning the documents. You don't you don't want it to be kind of this baton pass handoff between a supposedly perfect uh, design team and a supposedly perfect build team. You really kind of need uh, all eyes and all you know all that intelligence uh, you know integrated into those documents uh, mm -hmm. before they ever get released. Yeah. And it's funny because you're going to do changes. That's going to happen in every project. And some of the construction guys get irritated by you know, a change order as, as a bad word. Uh, it doesn't have to be a bad word if the owner has thought through and put contingency money aside to make sure that when the designers come on that we have money to do things that weren't quite the way we thought they were going to be or they weren't done uh, in the field like they were done in uh, BIM modeling and stuff like that. How do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears? Stories change lives. They make us remember, but only when they are felt and not just heard. Storyland Studios builds the impossible. We turn big ideas into reality. We tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only seen in your dreams, in real life and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit storylandstudios.com or call now. 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big idea's best ally. We've got a collaborator, uh, Brock Smith, has written some great stuff over at the ThemedAttraction.com website, as I know that uh, you have as well, uh, Jesse. But, um, you know, working in China, 
uh, especially working with groups like OCT. Um, you know, Brock is one of these guys that draws this beautiful uh, hand-drawn uh, designs, uh, and then at some point they get, uh, you know, handed over uh, to uh, directly to contractors in some cases. But, um, you know, having seen that stuff get lost in translation, uh, especially, again, overseas, um, it, there's times where, uh, again, a builder is not exactly a big idea's best friend. That's that's, <laughs> something we, that's one of our taglines. We like to be a big idea's best friend, ally. best <laughs> ally. Um, what, what is it about a, a good um, a builder, a construction manager that you think uh, really um, helps uh, kind of actually bring a vision uh, to life and, and really kind of enhances kind of some of the design intent rather than kind of, you know, takes away and diminishes that. Yeah. I think part of the keys are, are two things really. One, the builder needs to be willing to spend the time up front to be in the room sitting with you, even in the blue sky, maybe not saying anything, but having an eye towards the costs and, and towards where this conversation is, is going. Uh, not to dampen it. They need to have the restraint not to, you know, crush the good ideas <laughs> while they're coming out. Um, that time will come, <laughs> but they uh, have the willingness uh, to engage and, and to work through some of the crazy ideas that people have um, and to suspend the disbelief, as we say, yeah. um, that this can be done for what they're you know, talking about. Well, speaking of the costs and, and you know, when, when you can tell when something has been, um, you know, budgeted, it was needed to be kept below a budget. You know, you can tell when you see yeah. um, some sort of construction that just just as falling short. They just didn't have the budget for it. Uh, what are the, talk to me about the dials that uh, you, in, in your role, have to turn to keep something within budget, but also keep the quality and the uh, illusion uh, just as strong. Where is, that, where is that play? So I've been involved in hundreds of, of construction projects of all type. Uh, so I've developed a, a good set of benchmarks and, and sort of ratios, sort of rules of thumbs that I'll use uh, to kind of get what the big picture is going to look like. And then as we dial it down, so really there's like five stage gates that every project uh, mm -hmm. goes through through the uh, design process. It starts off with your blue sky and your conceptual design. Then it moves into a schematic where you start looking at like a floor plan, an actual set of renderings maybe, and then you get into a, a design development. And that design development, that's when you call in all the engineers and the technical people. So the electrical engineer, mechanical engineer, plumbing engineers, landscape architects, all those other supplementary consulting trades. Um, and at each one of those stage gates is a good chance to review where this design has gone more information starts to come out. You start to see specifics about what products and what, uh, how much time it's going to take to build these things. Uh, and then finally, when it gets to the, to the thing that people know as blueprints, that's the construction documents. We don't really use blueprints anymore. Uh, the old ammonia-based uh, blueprinting machines have kind of gone <laughs> away. Uh, but those... Missed that buzz. Those, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those CDs, as we call them, those construction documents, at that point... Most of the items on the budget are locked in. And so you have to go through what they call value engineering. Mm -hmm. And architects don't like this term because it usually is bad value engineering. So I see value engineering as it's like not, for like yeah, products. It shouldn't be uh, amputations, right. lopping yeah. off arms and legs. Yeah. <laughs> That's scope cutting. Scope right. cutting happens when we People just lop stuff the two off. Terms, yeah. yeah. So, and usually when a contractor is talking about uh, some value engineering options, it usually in involves cutting scope. Uh, and cutting scope, uh, so scope is defined as like all the things that are in the bucket, those four corners of the construction documents, that's in the scope. Um, 
contractors usually want to cut scope to save money, where a good value engineering process is looking at like-to-like products and talking about what the, the pros and the cons of each one of those products are. You know, something might cost a little bit less now, um, but cost you more in the long run for maintenance and operations. Uh, that's real value engineering. Yeah. Well, um, you know, we actually are uh, blessed to actually get to collaborate on a, a number of projects. I know you share a, a passion for uh, uh, what we've talked about. Anthony was talking about the, the idea of these uh, projects with purpose. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool, some of the projects that we're getting to collaborate on. Uh, just what's your heart on, on that and, and where you think the industry uh, can and could and should go? Yeah, so after the, the themed uh, entertainment uh, projects that I did. Um, I did a lot of projects that had community-oriented designs to them. So we did a lot of train stations and in, in uh, parks, public parks. I uh, did nonprofit works. Ended up doing uh, quite a lot of churches. Uh, and those are all common area places where the general public is welcome. Uh, what I love about that is that makes society better. Uh, there's usually a sense of values that are, are starting to be introduced. And when you design for a purpose, that needs to be involved. It's part of the story from the beginning, right? It even starts online and it goes into the front lobby, mm-hmm. uh, into all the other different aspects of it. And almost um, needs to be thought of like the movies. And there's a wide shot when people are approaching. Uh, and then there's the mid shot and the tactile close up, uh, the interactions with different objects and people in that space. Um, so looking at the design as a whole has an immersive experience that's uh, leading to a call of action. Uh, so it can be a, a zoo, uh, it could be some nonprofits like you guys have done, uh, it could be um, um, you know, even small uh, show exhibits mm-hmm. uh, can leave the user with a call to action at the end. And I think that's a huge place for the uh, themed environment and the uh, themed attractions industry. Um, most of society, I think now, uh, a lot of discussion about green building, a lot of discussion about you know sustainability. Uh, I think that tends to tie into a lot of societal things at the moment. It's awesome. Yeah, we um, are working on this project in Pennsylvania, uh, outside of Harrisburg, the the state capital of Pennsylvania, um, right near Hershey called, Park. Yeah, it's not too far from Hershey Park. Yeah. Actually, I got to get out to Hershey Park uh, Hershey. last time I was out there. But uh, it's called Vibrant Green, and it's kind of this postmodern uh, Pennsylvania, almost New England type green. Uh, and this nonprofit uh, is actually rooted in just a local church, but they they actually opened up their property. They built the first ADA accessible playground uh, in the region. They've opened up the perimeter of the property in this uh, amazing trail through the woods. It's uh, you know kind of an exercise course, but it's almost like a spiritual park course. And uh, we're doing this really cool uh, just community uh, kids space. And um, again, uh, just a, a real journey with with that client to kind of. Uh, want to impact uh, the region in the the city positively and creating this kind of third place, this destination place that's not just checking off work, checking off, you know, that strip mall, you know, just doing all those necessities of life, but actually having that that gathering place that uh, people can uh, dwell and spend time in. And, and again, taking lessons learned from the themed attraction industry, you know, uh, really distilling that local sense of place. Uh, one of the inspirations was almost kind of this triangular colonial, you know, town green, almost inspired by a tri-corner uh, hat, you know, in this future uh, 
Village Green, but uh, a lot of fun. Thanks for being a great partner on that rather than uh, a, a combatant <laughs> that, that we're used to on the construction side and the lending side. Um, tell me about your work uh, being part of a, a group that not only does the, the front end pre-construction and development management, but actually is involved with funding these projects because that's yeah. something that we, we love partners that actually not only bring great ideas and passion and heart and soul, but actually uh, fundage and, and right. cash to, to, to get these projects done. Sure. So my career path has been interesting because <laughs> I started in, in architectural design and engineering and then gone through construction management. And now I work for an investment fund that uh, funds a lot of these nonprofits. And uh, this is the kind of friend you want people, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for you people that just want to know, you know, a fat pencil creatives, yeah. <laughs> you, you kind of need some money people too. That, so my that hat's changed over passion. the years and my view of these projects <laughs> has changed uh, through time, but that's how it works. Well, what do you, what would you say to, um, again, someone, um, you know, kind of interested in the industry um, and maybe they're torn between being interested in the, you know, the front end creative design side. Maybe they're really interested in creating and, and building and, and actually making this stuff real, or maybe they're interested in the, the ongoing operations and maintenance, not, and, you know, just kind of keeping these things fresh and new. Um, any, any advice that you would just give to, cause I know you have a passion for kind of education as well. I do. So in my career, I also, around 2008, uh, the economy started to tank in construction, as most people know. Uh, and I decided to go back and get my PhD because I could always teach construction or run projects as I need mm -hmm. to. Uh, and that's when I really got a, a passion for not only scholarly research in the built environment, but in uh, teaching people all the different places that they can fit in. There's hundreds of disciplines that are involved in uh, themed attractions and if you have any interest at all, there's a place for you, yeah. whether it's on the creative side, uh, whether it's on the technical side, uh, whether it's show production, sound, uh, projection mapping, audiovisual, uh, even uh, the engineering technologies of like mechatronics and robot building and stuff. I love all that stuff. Wow. One of my downfalls is that anything that's complex and technical, I'm interested in it. <laughs> uh, but. So I think some, some key advice to the students that are working out there and are thinking about this as a career, uh, start with looking at all the different disciplines. Um, so this past semester, I, I was a guest uh, critique for the Rainland School of Design. They have an entertainment design program. Uh, and they had projects that were small sundry projects that were little um, spaces for, for uh, guests in this attraction to go and rest, all the way up to highly immersive 3D projection mapping onto screens and um, stuff like the uh, Toronto Zoo just did um, uh, during Christmas time uh, and everything in between. Uh, and one of the things that those students didn't necessarily see, I think, is that there were all these different aspects. And even though they were all design students, they were art students. Some of them got really excited about the engineering pieces. Some of them got really excited about, um, you know, soft furnishings and things like that. Some got really excited about the technical, the audiovisual lighting. Um, and if you're interested in engineering or architecture, there's very specific routes of education you have to go. So if you wanna be in engineering school to get your PE license, you have to go to an ABET school. Um, I forget what it uh, stands for, but if you wanna go for an architect's license, it has to go through an NCARB school. I think a lot of people don't realize that it's a very narrow pathway to get those licensings. And then each state is a little different. So you may be licensed in Florida, and that doesn't transfer to maybe California or New York or something like that. And in some places, it's the wild, wild west. You go to Missouri and Kansas, there's nobody looking at that stuff. Yeah. So not that there's nobody, but it's very loose. 
So uh, doing your due diligence up front and understanding, don't be like me, don't get into the industry and stumble your way through it. Look when you're in high school and you know, start looking at these different uh, pathways and what those really look like. Well, I, um, I'm encouraged by that. And actually, I think the listeners should be encouraged by that as well. Um, oftentimes when we do talk with, uh, industry folks, they, they'll talk about how they got in and how unique it was to get into the industry for them. And that actually seems pretty far off, but what, uh, you said is there's a place for you. There is a place for you. Absolutely. There is. Especially if you got the passion for it. And, and a lot of people make the mistake of thinking that, uh, you know, if, if you consider yourself creative, uh, that, you know, the creative in the, in the industry is limited to that front end blue sky or people that draw right. really well. Uh, you know, again, one thing I know about you is, uh, that you definitely reflect a lot of creativity, uh, and that creativity really can manifest itself really all the way through the process. And that's, that's something that certainly great, uh, creators and builders bring to the table. Um, any, any thoughts on that, the, you know, examples that you've seen that? Yeah, I mean, it's so important to have uh, creativity all the way through uh, because some of these things... So I watched uh, the uh, Disney Plus Imagineers yeah. uh, story recently, yeah. uh, and they talked about how uh, Disney had to go and, and pluck trees out of people's neighborhoods and sort of bootstrap that. That still happens, not you know pulling stuff out of uh, people's uh, yards to put on, on uh, berms, but the way that things are built, uh, there's a lot of... Um, well, we're just going to make it happen. We're going to try this and see what happens with the materials we've got. Uh, and so, you know, whether it's engineering or architecture or construction management, having creative input and thought process is a key piece. Mm -hmm. uh, but even if you're not a uh, creative, which I really do think everybody can be a uh, creative, uh, even if you're into safety management or cost control or quality management, those tend to not be on the uh, creative side. They tend to be more sort of project administration stuff, but uh, still roles for people to play. It's still necessary. Still plays in the same sandbox as, as everybody else in the uh, creative box. So. Appreciate it. Well, man, thanks so much for, uh, I know you extended your uh, SoCal trip and you're actually uh, going to be paying for it with the uh, pain and aggravation of a red eye home A little bit of a long flight. Out of LAX. Oh. That's like a two strikes against you, <laughs> LAX and a red eye uh, back to the East Coast. So can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time out. And so we let's uh, let's go have some fun before you catch your flight. And uh, um, we'll we'll be uh, regrouping again, I'm sure, in the future. So Sounds thanks good. for thanks and, for and by me. the way, for listeners, uh, all your thought leadership and contributions over at uh, themedattraction.com. And I should mention our good friend Nate Naverson, who introduced us. I guess you guys go go way back, twenty years like, or so. Yeah. yeah, a couple of decades. So really thankful for that that intro and uh we'll we'll have to get together again and tell uh, uh some of our listeners about uh once some of our collaborations open up uh kind of uh you know some of the some cool stories coming out of those projects yeah thanks for being with us jesse thank you well you get a real sense from jesse that as much as that construction phase is uh, it bears a lot of weight of the project it's also deeply satisfying to be so, sort of the hands that build the experience the experiences, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, to, to bring uh, my, my kids, you know, or friends, families uh, to a place and to actually be making memories, not just for other people, but uh, for my own kids and our family. I mean, that, that is a rewarding experience uh, for sure. And, and that's kind of definitely one of those big payoffs for yeah. sure. 
Yeah, I, I have. I do have some friends who, uh, and and people with Storyland Studios who build the the physical pieces, you know, the rock work and stuff, and they can point to the piece that they built. It's really exciting to actually be doing the physical stuff. So after I, uh, we finished our recording with uh, Jesse, I had a chance to talk to him again, and uh, he he said something really interesting that I wanted to share with with you. So listen to what he had to say. The goal is always the same for me. I really want to create places where people just love to be at, uh, that they feel um, a connection to, and they come to incorporate that place as a part of their life tradition. Just as the way I have with Disney World and Epcot, with my kids and my family, uh, we go time and again, and we just love to spend time there. And it's become a place not just... Uh, to do rides, but also for us to connect to each other. And so in a purpose-based design, we can use story to utilize um, uh, the story towards a big idea, and it can promote empathy and understanding, sometimes promotes healing, while also entertaining and informing. Uh, And in a world today where we're so connected uh, to, to things digitally and to our phones, uh, with our face usually face down into our phones, uh, the idea that people want to connect to a big idea, uh, to each other and to a purpose, and then eventually to a call to action really holds a lot of water um, in today's society. You want people to come away from a place feeling like the place was specifically designed for them, with them in mind, uh, that there was something new to discover there, that the space has become a part of the person, and even somehow the space has changed the person uh, in the way that they are now going to experience the world. Well, you know, that that's one of the reasons I love Jesse is his heart and passion and, and the idea that he's not just getting her done. Uh, you know, like a lot of other contractors we've worked with, you know, they're so focused on the good, fast and cheap yeah. that they don't think about the, the bigger motivation behind what they're doing. And, and for me, again, the, the great thing about this industry, uh, to be able to create destinations, uh, you know, our mission statement we, we've, we've articulated is developing these destinations, these uh, spaces that lift the spirit. Yeah. You know, that is such a different thing from the vast majority of, say, the, the design, development, architecture, construction world, you know, most of that stuff is places you have to be, you know, if you think of something like institutional design, you know, those are places you want to spend as little time as possible. So that can be schools, it can be, uh, auditoriums, uh, civic centers, insane asylums, prisons, (laughs) you know, get in, get out. Um, but even most of commercial suburban America, I mean, it's like, you know, dormitory housing, it's strip malls, big box retail, yeah. get in, get out, office parks, nine to five, punch and punch. How often and how rare is it in today's world to get to do spaces that you are inviting people to spend as much time as possible to linger in, mm-hmm. uh, to, to manufacture and make memories in, and again, to choose to do that. And again, that's just so unique and special. And, and it, it's just weird that it's so rare in our world to, to have the opportunity to do that. But I'd never take that for granted. Yeah, I know Jesse true. doesn't either. I agree. Well, um, we've been floating out here a while. I'd kind of like to get back to start some work on projects that I'd like to see get constructed. So what do you say we go back to the dock and build something? Let's do it. All right. Until next time. Thanks, Mel. The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. 
Have we told you lately how much we appreciate you taking time to listen to our podcast? It's honestly an incredible honor to be able to connect with people like you through this show and in person. Would you do us another favor and leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts? Your kind words create digital magic that gets our show into the headphones of so many more creative people just like you. We want to thank our guest, Dr. Jesse Cam. You can get in touch with him on LinkedIn and head down to the academic section of ThemedAttraction.com to find his research-based resources for immersive built environments, themed entertainment university programs, and a lot more. Get access to more stories and interviews at ThemedAttraction.com, an insider's look at theme park design by theme park designers. Start your own profile, discuss the latest creative advancements, and interact with your fellow theme park designers around the world. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at Themed Attraction and join our active discussion group on LinkedIn. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at skipperfreddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson. Other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Barry is the author of Podcast Audio, a new book that helps you take your podcast production to the next level. Microphones that work, room acoustics, recording tricks, and producing a polished show file all combine to create world-class podcast audio you can be proud of. Buy it now on Amazon or at RivershoreCreative.com. You know, Mel... Barry and I were on safari the other day and encountered a pride of lions feasting on a zebra. Barry said the scene reminded him of the unwritten law of the jungle. Don't be a zebra. Thanks for listening, folks. 